Hello and welcome to Studio Sessions, the big red and shiny podcast where we talk with artists about the ideas, inspiration, and processes that go into their work. I'm your host Matt Coleman, and in this episode I'll be speaking with Chuck Cheney. Chuck earned a BA from the Brooks Institute of Photography in 1992 and an MFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in 2008. He often creates performances and projects that deal with personal and cultural identity in various ways. Strong signatures of American culture, such as the flag ceremony and westward expansion, appear alongside much more subtle looks at our society, like analyzing the flow of people through Grand Central Terminal in New York. Chuck is also the founder of the Homestead AKA Artist Residency in Alaska, which several previous guests on the show have attended. Join me as he discusses his work with the Artist Residency, along with the ideas he explores in his projects. Chuck, how you doing today? Great. How Thanks are you? for making the trip up to meet with me here. Of course. Yeah. Pleasure to do it. <laughs> and uh, so I think we can start um, by talking about something that you did a while ago that would give you a little a little bit of biographical information about you too. Is as read that you started the homestead um, residency in Alaska. Is that right? Yes. And I thought that was interesting because it has ties to several people that I've already talked to. There's, I think, Andrea Evans said she did something there, Kirk yes. Snow, Jennifer Schmidt, and Garrett Young. So that's like four people I've already talked to <laughs> that have a direct connection to you through that. So, yes. Um, tell me about it. Um, it started in 2008, right? And uh, yeah, how it came um, about. It it came about kind of after grad school, at the end of grad school, sort of with this desire to continue the community that was started in grad school because mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really important time for a lot of artists and did you go to grad school in um, Alaska no I went to grad school in Boston okay museum school right. and Tufts and uh, it just the the kind of community that gets formed within grad school and the sort of the friendships and the bonds that are made um, I had when I started grad school this property in Alaska came into my life and a lot of it was trying to figure out how does it fit in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm living on the East Coast now. It's five thousand miles away. Like, <laughs> it's very what remote. do you what do you do with this? And um, it it was my father's, and he had he had been a kind of a tremendous collector of things, and um, essentially mm-hmm. never really threw anything away. So there's a lot of material there for. Mm-hmm. A sort of artistic pursuit, and yeah, Jennifer um, Schmidt was banging on a bunch of car hoods. That there was just like a big car lot of old cars there, basically. <laughs> that was part of her project. Yeah, there's probably forty five cars. Mm-hmm. It sounds really similar to the Art Farm in Nebraska. If you've ever heard of that, it's yeah, like yeah. he collects everything <laughs> and acquires. Play, yeah, can just play with whatever you want. Definitely, and that that's kind of one of the things that I think is great about it because you can come there and pretty much anything you want to do is probably possible mm-hmm. or probably exists there. Yeah. Um, it might take a little searching, but it, it's <laughs> there. And it was really, you know, I, I brought a handful of friends up there the, the first year and just sort of we sat around and you know, made some work and sat by the fire and talked about what it could be. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of continued from there. Um, in 2009, I 
it and went through that process so that it it has some more sort of viability and a life to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we're going into our sixth season. Cool. As part of running that, do you go up there regularly, or do you have kind of handlers that are? It's up really there? only currently occurring in the summers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want to go there in the winter, um, <laughs> personally. <laughs> Where exactly um, is it in Alaska? I was told that it was like a couple hours from a town, basically. It's, so it's 100 miles north of Anchorage. Oh, that's not too far north. It's so. not ridiculously remote. I mean, yeah. there's, there is a True Value hardware store like three miles away, and there's okay. like a grocery store that is pretty well stocked mm-hmm. a few miles away. Um, you know, certainly bigger stores and and sort of national chain stores are either one or two hours away depending mm-hmm. on okay. what you need <laughs> but uh so you were also born in alaska is that right and uh, so yes. and but it also said that you lived in hawaii i also thought that was kind of interesting that you got the two non-mainland yes. states in yeah there. <laughs> yeah 49 and 50 for sure um yeah i moved to hawaii basically when i was like four or five years old mm-hmm. and spent and with the rest of my sort of schooling and high school there mm-hmm. and then moved to California for college and then mm-hmm. uh, lived in California for a while and then moved to Boston for grad school. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up in Hawaii? I imagine it feels very isolated just being out in the middle of the ocean like that. And I didn't really know any different. Yeah. Um, I, in hindsight... You know, like how, of, I guess how the art culture would work there because there needs to be a lot of exchange yeah, for art to happen. Yeah. Um, there, There's... There is a, there is an art scene there. It's it's certainly a, a different kind of art scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really been a part of it. I did. I was part of a show at um, the Bishop Museum there, and there there's a few galleries, and there's there's some interesting things going on. Uh, there's a resurgence in the downtown area in Honolulu for um, galleries and and art coming there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of. A wonderful thing that didn't used to exist there, mm-hmm. but I think growing up there, it, it um, you know, in hindsight, it was really a, a really wonderful place to grow up because mm-hmm. of of the sort of like complete melting pot that it is, um, and a lot of understanding of, of kind of different cultures around the world coming together and figuring out how to exist and coexist. Do most of the people that live there come from other places and just decide they want to move there? Is a lot of indigenous, not like native, but people that were born there and stay there? there yes, I mean, there, there certainly is, is a lot of that. Um, you know, my, my stepfather, the man who raised me, um, really, you know, I mean, he's his family's been there forever. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Chinese, Hawaiian, and, and German, so it, you know, there's a, a lot of multi-generational families that have been there you mm. know, for uh, you know, centuries or at least a century in, yeah. in, in many cases a lot of my friends you know like their their parents moved there or you know sort of a few generations back moved there or through marriage like someone came and met someone mm-hmm. who had lived there forever and got married yeah. or you know there certainly was a large influx um, after World War II mm-hmm. Then all the West Coast surfer hippies. Then there's up. certainly you know there's there's been an influx in the last you know twenty years of 
of sort of like people from California coming. There was a big influence um, with kind of Japanese money in the 80s and kind of California money in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) it sort of evolves from there. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's... um, I've, I've been able to get back somewhat frequently. And so it's been nice to see the sort of the culture continue to grow and the, and, and the art scene really continue to grow mm-hmm. um, in a really kind of vibrant and contemporary with a with a contemporary voice you know certainly there are still many types of of craft involved there there's always been a, a strong craft nature and sort of you know to use use your word sort of the indigenous life of there um to be in, in place. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, we can start uh, talking about some of your specific pieces um, off of what we already talked about. I think I saw that you've done some up in Alaska, right? It was In terms of um, You did some pieces up in yeah, up I, at the place. In I Alaska. try and do something every year. Um, it doesn't always happen that way, but generally they're, you know, I, I try and find some time to like this one, the yeah. title page on your website's got you standing out there with a yeah. smoke grenade. <laughs> yeah, and that was from you know. Oftentimes, there is some sort of a, a performance that occurs. Yeah, um, in that space, and that was you know one of those particular moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, you know, there there's always a, a sort of a photographic element to my work. There's always a performative element, and a, and that sort of bringing those two things together to hopefully. And sort of create engagement and, and foster community in mm-hmm. some ways, I think. Yeah, I think that definitely describes your work as you said it has like a photographic background but a performative foreground or something. <laughs> yeah. There is kind of a play through a lot of it where you have t- two equal sections of work here, equal in terms of the scale of projects and the performative stuff. It stands alone as a photograph. Also, yeah. just in the documentation, I'd say a lot of them. Yeah. And with that, uh, which one is that in particular that's on the front of your... I believe that is part of the Searching, searching. series, but I... And so what was the idea yeah. with what you were doing in these here? This is an excerpt from a, a piece where I was carrying a um, large light... Actually, a, a piece of a runway um, or a runway light, shall we say, wow. <laughs> um, that I basically carried around and was in in search of something um, and mm-hmm. sort of working with it to create signal um, to sort of investigate whether or not there would be any sort of response from the world and also the physicality of carrying this, mm-hmm. you know, probably. 35-pound light around. Yeah, it's got to be hot, too, if it's from a runway. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was mostly carrying it by the cord (laughs) um, in in a lot of ways so that there was motion to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it it gets warm. And there was (laughs) definitely a a physical impact of of the piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's been something that has that sort of searching and, and, and sort of seeking a response has always been something that in a lot of pieces I've I've tried to continue to investigate and, and research what happens um, 
in, in some cases there was there was one piece that there's really not documentation of to speak of but um, it was a similar piece to this where I had a, a, a headlight and mm-hmm. I was at a, on a body of water's edge and was sort of like seeking response and interaction mm-hmm. and there was a boat about <laughs> You know, 100-200 yards offshore that responded back to me. And yeah. It was a really interesting sort of com- conversation and just a completely unexpected result yeah. <laughs> um, that was you know kind of very it had this wonderful like strong emotional mm. facet to it. Um, so I think you know working with light, working with things that that create um, a visible interaction. Mm. In this particular one where you're wandering around and Alaska in the night with a big runway mm-hmm. light. Did you get any uh, response from like the animals or environment or stumble upon anything unexpected? <laughs> Aliens? Not really. <laughs> not in not in this particular <laughs> instance. Um, other than sort of my interaction with the things that I would illuminate. Mm-hmm. In a sense, because I would yeah. come upon things. You're in a void, basically yeah. out there. It's pitch black, so yeah. all you can see is what's right in front of you. Yeah, and yeah, no, I mean, there was a little bit of light on the horizon, but down in that sort of valley created by trees, mm-hmm. um, you know, it gets much darker when you're below the trees mm-hmm. or kind of in the on the field. Um, so it stumbling through things, you know, sort of the wet grass and just really that particular piece really turned into sort of a, a physical experiment experiment and mm-hmm. experience with you know sort of where it would go and how far it would go and what you know what would I see mm-hmm. and was the orange smoke grenade part of this series did you say or yeah kind of I, I think it's time? it's a continuation it was done the following year okay. um, there's been a few sort of like these pieces that come out of my experience um, sort of leading this experience for others and also trying to integrate myself into making sure that I also am making work mm-hmm. um, because that's kind of critical to the experience that everyone is is doing things. Sometimes that's very research-based, sometimes it's very you know, sort of um, object-based. Mm-hmm. But that feels like one of those things that always uh, does occur. Mm-hmm. Um, is are most of the things that you've done up in at the residency space in Alaska? Is it based off of this kind of same thing, or have you done like totally different projects? There, there have been other projects, um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of more object oriented. Mm-hmm. What are some of those? Are they documented here? I don't here? think any of them are on this version of my website mm-hmm. um, not to say that they won't be there in the future or yeah. <laughs> um, in other iterations but um, there was a, a painting project that I, I did with with uh, my partner and, and um, it was one of the first times that we interacted together on opposite sides of a, of a canvas in mm-hmm. a sense um, there's been you know certainly many collaborative pieces with other artists Mm -hmm. um, getting involved in their projects helping them sort of map out how to and also um, 
not not really curating pieces, but just making sure that kind of maybe some safety aspects are taken into account, some environmental aspects about like not creating a mess, but mm-hmm. you know making sure that things are built in a way that they're going to withstand at least foreseen winter <laughs> um, you know not being there for the winter it's you know you never know what you're gonna walk back into at the end of the yeah. at, at the beginning of a season but um, trying to help that vision along and, and have that be a conversation with artists who come to the residency uh, I think is an important aspect mm-hmm. What are some other performative pieces that you've done that you'd like to explain or talk about? Um, I think, you know, One Was Too Many has always been a very, you know, strong piece that can... I haven't worked with it in a while, but it has... It has had many iterations in, in over many years in different spaces and different galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on this one, you're having, you and other people also are folding tissues in the form of the way the f- American flag is folded, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And just sort of removing, removing nationality from sort of reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just yeah. kind of the symbolic action of... Yeah, and it, it started you know, around certainly the, the Iraqi conflict and but then has grown so much more and, and one of the things that's so amazing about opening it up to interacting with others is hearing their stories of of either receiving a flag witnessing it being folded um, learning about the tradition because mm-hmm. I've, I've had it with um, people from other countries that don't have never seen it, don't understand it. Yeah. it. In my research of the piece, it one of the things that was really amazing is it is actually a an American thing. Yeah, that's we, what I was we, thinking. <laughs> we didn't steal it from anyone, not which all, is really cool. Not um, all countries would fold their flag the yeah, same way. Probably. We're the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it came out of the Civil War, um, which is a really kind of interesting. Because I, I, I kind of thought when I started it that it was something that kind of happened to all fallen soldiers in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the research, it's really not. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was in, originated, you know, really at, at a very early point in our country's history. Yeah. Um, but removing that the sort of nationality from it, you know, makes makes reference to all of the, you know, all of the civilians killed. Um, you know, really, really, it it touches on so many many possibilities, and, and has been part of and, and reference to. You know, sort of conflicts all over the world in, in different settings. Mm-hmm. And so, this is something that you've done like several times, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's recurred. Um, the last iteration was um, part of the Iraqi Memorial Show in in New York and in San Jose um, last year. Mm-hmm. The New York one was was actually. Um, with, 
a live performance at the opening. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was unable to also attend the, the San Jose version, mm-hmm. but um, that, that, that was a really great experience because it's tied to many other artists mm-hmm. creating sort of this... I think there's a wonderful culture of memorializing events through objects, through art, through... Reversions of of the land in, in some cases, mm-hmm. which, which is just a wonderful way to sort of have a spiritual interaction with you know either those that, that you can't have a, it with or the idea of an experience that you either were part of or someone in your family was part of or that you were touched by. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be completely tied to a military conflict mm-hmm. there's so many events um, that just need memorializing mm-hmm. yeah I think even like the uh, the act of folding the flag that's not only done like when somebody's killed it's just the way you store the flag too like I was in scouts and we had to do flag ceremony at camp and you fold the flag up when you took it down at the end of the day and yeah yeah so it's the it's about having reverence for that object, I guess, and what it represents, which, I guess, hearing you explain this, it reminds me of, you had a brief statement of what your work is about, and it was very abstract, it was, uh, (laughs) I got it here, (laughs) the presence, or the memory of presence in objects, and I guess that explains that pretty well, in that sense. There's some other projects that I was curious, like how that would relate to what you were saying about the memory of presence in mm-hmm. objects, such as the uh, um, the one where you're wrapped in Tyvek, like out in the desert or something. Mm-hmm. Which one was that? Uh, that's um, Home at Last. Home at Last. And so, how did those kind of similar ideas run through, like this performative piece that you're doing here? I, I had been on this this quest, um, sort of retracing old family roots across the country, and you know, sort of experiencing places. These sort of uh, monumental road trips and this sort of very kind of Americana um, ideals, and thinking about those members of, of my family, members of other people's families who were, you know, sort of moving through this this space and um, I had been working with this idea of homesteading and around the homestead and, and mm-hmm. uh, sort of, you know, really kind of autobiographical in, in terms of, of family and, and multi-generations in, in my past mm-hmm. and it it became I'm not even sure the first time it it occurred on on the road and, and where it was and and how the kind of idea kind of manifested it just was it, it's something that that started to occur and it it was sort of being in this place and allowing um, one to be okay in their own skin almost and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't about a particular place and it wasn't it many of the the times that it occurred were just moments when I was driving and like <clears throat> this place feels good okay here's the next place that feels good here's um, you know it, it was really instinctive 
in mm-hmm. a sense, which to me was is sort of an indicative and instinctive of travelers of the past, where they would just kind of set up shop. Yeah, or just make kind of find a suitable place. Yeah. This is where we're going to be. This is it. <laughs> um, and then you have to figure out how to be okay in that space. Um, mm. um, so it always kind of referenced those those objects and those those places and, and there's so many spaces across uh, the country where there's relics of that sort of moment in time mm-hmm. um, that that always kind of struck me also yeah where are some of the places that you are looks like Arizona or New Mexico and then there's one that looks like California coast and Nebraska, maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that looks like Nebraska to me. <laughs> it, that may be somewhere Nebraska, Oklahoma, yeah. uh, New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, certainly Arizona, um, certainly California. Mm. Uh, many of these came from from retracing Route 66. Okay, um, being one of the first sort of the you're drinking a Route 66 so. mug right now. Ah, oh, look at that! <laughs> I got that in Albuquerque when I lived there. So. <laughs> Which was a really amazing kind of experience as well because that sort of reference to Relic, there was a moment on that trip where I was standing within like a hundred yards of three versions of the road uh-huh. where like this was the first Route 66 and then, yeah, then 20 over. feet over there's <laughs> the next version and then 20 feet over there's the next version and then there's the interstate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which... I think says a lot about how we've moved through time and just instead of making one thing better even though it's theoretically better right the next yeah, version but, rather than improving the existing but it didn't one, just yeah we, we just over. left it <laughs> <laughs> um, and that yeah, in Albuquerque I think Route 66 just became like Central Avenue yeah. it just goes straight through the city yeah. but and, and a lot of them because the that's highway is like a half mile north of there yeah. or something that's that's how it started was it was the first road that really connected mm-hmm. all these towns from Chicago to LA yeah um, where now you don't mm-hmm. go through any towns if you're on an interstate you know, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's rest areas and there's you know McDonald's plazas <laughs> things that don't allow you to actually interact with, with anyone other than the people that are just going to get there mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a shame I think there's yeah. so much to you don't get lost as like, <laughs> Chicago 300 miles <laughs> as long as I'm heading that general direction I'll get to where I'm going eventually absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I think that's a you know a hark back to a different time of travel yeah and a different way of being in the world Mm-hmm. I think is many ways kind of better than than now where we really don't there's so much that you don't interact with you know? like mm-hmm. even even being in Boston and like taking public transportation people don't mm-hmm. you know, um, I've, I've started taking the commuter rail every day and it's the first time on public transportation where because of how that system works like I've started people mm-hmm. um Every day, yeah. <laughs> and so there, there begins to be like little interactions. But then you get onto like the traditional tea, and it's just a jumble. It's just people. like oh. uh, just sort of. You know, there, there should be more communication and more acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. 
but we all get tied up in our lives and our going to get there and our, you know, oh, I have to be at this meeting at nine or, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's it's unfortunate. Like, once you bypass a city with a highway, like, nobody actually gets to see the city unless they go there, like, in Lawrence, Kansas, where I'm from, like, they're just now finishing this leg of a bypass around the city that... (laughs) They've been fighting it for like twenty years because it it cuts it cuts through some wetlands and mm. I don't want them to build it. But they also have really severe traffic problems in the part of town where people have to go. But mm-hmm. still, it gives people a chance to like go through and like see what the place is like just passing through. Now, the trucks will just like pull through the wetlands and yeah. totally skip over it unless they need to stop there for some reason. And that that's happened to so many places. In mm-hmm. this. In, in our country and, and, and really in other countries as well you know, like it's you know, kind of it's sort of the a byproduct of industrialization mm-hmm. and modernism creates uh, a lot of know. relics of the past for you to explore though <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's benefits I guess right <laughs> like in one broken businesses one of your photographic mm-hmm. series I was drawn to that because I also take photos like mm-hmm. this where I go and find a it's like that's obviously a big K. You can see the <laughs> faded mm-hmm. sign remnants there. That's just kind of it's when it's a store like that, it becomes this strange sculptural space. Yeah. It's like a Donald Judd yeah. environment almost, and absolutely, it's more of an object than a building because it was for a specific purpose. As, especially, I noticed you had the uh, emblematic. Uh, Pizza Hut building and one like where is it? Mm-hmm. There. Like when you see that, like it's a Pizza Hut. It can't yeah. be anything else. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, there, there's a lot of those, and it was you know that that's another one of those projects. Also, sort of spun off of of Home at Last because a lot of them kind of happened in tandem. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing all of these empty structures and empty businesses and empty dreams that that many of and of them have still have lights on but there's mm-hmm. nothing going on you know it's sort mm-hmm. of like there's this there's this heartbeat but there's no sort of like being hooked up to life support um <laughs> where many others you know it, it is this this emblematic it it can't it couldn't really be anything else mm-hmm. in, in many ways and um, some of them even in the same way of like the description of route 66 and in multiple versions of it there's many that also like next door they just rebuilt another one yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that was that was like such a the epitome of of the project in so many ways Mm -hmm. because it it you know like we didn't all we did is just move over (laughs) and make another one (laughs) yeah i guess a lot of these buildings like they just have to be torn down and they build a new one because like old buildings like you go to see old business districts like on Cabot Street or something these buildings are over 100 years old and they just refit it to fit something yeah. new but these it's like such cheap quick construction it doesn't really pay off to like reformat it it's just tear it down something like that's cute though like Sunrise Donuts old <laughs> some 50s flare <laughs> yeah and you know obviously like in that one you know it's it's got broken windows it's you know it, it, it's less it's got less life to it mm-hmm. and I think you find that in in areas where there's more space mm-hmm. you know where where they'll just the town isn't there anymore yeah. or it or it's there but it's three blocks away and 
we just left this area mm-hmm. to create a new one. In other spaces, they'll they'll just sit empty for years and years and years until they have a new resident mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. Yeah, um, which is it's such a strange sort of you know they left the light on, but <laughs> we'll just wait and see yeah. what happens. In your travels throughout the West, have you seen many uh, ghost towns, like real ghost towns? I know there's some from the 1800s that are like what you think of when you see a ghost town, but there's also like more modern versions. Yeah, uh, there there's certainly a few um, that I, that I've come across. I can't think of any of their names. I think one of the the there's very few that I think are, are super modern because those have all been sort of just mm-hmm. rematerialized into something new um, in that way of just like tear it down and build another one. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that, that sort of ghost town sort of stopped in a lot of ways after the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Um, like I know in southeastern Kansas, I forget what the name of the town is. It's near Coffeeville, I think, but... They had to, there were, the place was almost empty anyway, because there's like old mines underneath and it's really toxic and it's creating these huge sinkholes. So, um, huh. They forced like the last like couple dozen residents out of this town. It used to be a few thousand people. Mm-hmm. So that's um, the, probably the most modern example you can see where there's like a major problem that causes people to leave. Yeah, like, exactly. I also saw one about a, a video of someplace in Pennsylvania where there's still a coal mine fire underneath it it's been there for like mm-hmm. since the 60s yeah. or something and it's constantly burning and nobody can live there <laughs> there's yeah. like four people that live there and yeah. the town's still there nobody lives there <laughs> yeah that that happens in in a lot of places i i can think of um you know, sort of to bring things back to alaska in a sense there's a lot of uh villages that essentially have just sort of gone the way of of people moving to the city. Yeah, there's um, a lot of boomtown spots out there from yeah. frontier or, days. That or people... just you know, kind of indigenous, you know, sort of Eskimo mm-hmm. and, and Indian um, families that have lived there forever. And the state for years has been. They have these particular rules about how many students you have to have to have a school, mm-hmm. and they've actually paid people to move to villages from like Seattle <laughs> and move a family like if you have four kids and we need ten kids in the school and there's five mm-hmm. and you have a family of five kids like we'll pay you to move here and live here and be yeah. part of this um, <laughs> which has sort of kind of come to an end in, in many ways because so many um, families that have, have you know been um, been sort of subsistence hunters and, and lived off the land for generations uh, the new the new, I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word, but the current generation, I guess, um, wants to go to the city. They want, you know, they want the internet. They want McDonald's. They want yeah. Taco Bell. <laughs> they want, you know, an iPhone <laughs> where, you know, you, you look at the elders and they're like, hey. <laughs> Taco Bell's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Check out all the salmon we have, you know. Um, let's go get some caribou. Um, so it's, it, it's, I think it happens all over in different ways and, and at different times. Mm-hmm. 
I think it'll be really interesting as we kind of move forward with all the growth that has been going on in, in many places. I, I can think of you know, that, that idea of like the modern ghost town. I think there's there's this sense in a way maybe there's a new definition of what the ghost town is like you look at Vegas mm -hmm. and there was so much building for so long and, and just so many this this wonderful change and like there's this community of half a million dollar homes mm -hmm. that are now just all sitting empty or yeah. they're or they've been trashed by the homeless and, and sort of um others looking for a place to live because they know that all this is empty or people have come in and just ripped all the piping out to go sell it or yeah. you know, and created a ghost town because you can't you can't even like rent that house now because <laughs> you can't nope, turn the water off. yeah um, and there's there's certainly a lot of neighborhoods like that in mm -hmm. spaces that way I think some of that is has been re-inhabited as, as you know the economy has done this mm -hmm. wonderful ebb and flow in the last few years. Yeah, I've been reading that there's been a lot of reuptake into urban areas, so there's, I think it's just recently been the fact that there's more people living in what are considered urban areas mm -hmm. than rural, and if you go out in the countryside, especially in the west, where there used to be all these small little towns that had some way of supporting a community, they've lost those means, and people go to the larger cities, like yeah. you were saying, in Alaska, so even in like places like, I was in rural Kentucky, and I'd like ride my bike around, and find a place that, you know, probably used to have several hundred people living there, and now there's, like, just old buildings yeah. that are packed full of junk, and there's, like, all the old-timers sitting on the porch. Like, yeah. What I, I, could, I consider that kind of a ghost town, where it's kind of lost its Effect vitality. Effectively, yeah. Anything that used to be, you know, pick a population number, like, 500 people, mm -hmm. and now there's 100. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's a ghost town, yeah. really. <laughs> you know, there's, there's not much going on there. There's not... Uh, there's there's probably very few of any sort of new families happening. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably mostly people that have either been there forever or they're you know they're moving up there in age or yeah. <laughs> um, you know whatnot that that isn't you know how you keep a community going by having children and mm -hmm. you know, having schools and having you know, grocery stores. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if that's if those are really the things because you know the the other side to it is you know, sort of this this hark back to um, you know, growing your own and, and, and sort of getting away from the corporate world that mm -hmm. that, um, that sort of American farming has really turned into. Yeah. Um, you know, the, this, this resurgence of, of the agrarian sort of desire. Mm -hmm. um, there was, I, I saw the other day that um, a store, um, I think it was Williams-Sonoma or one of the, the kitchen stores mm -hmm. um, had just created a whole new product line of, of greenhouse products, effectively, yeah. and like these beds that you can buy and put together, and all the right <laughs> things to water it, and packages of seeds, and yeah. uh, how to you know how to make a trellis so that you can keep your tomatoes off the ground. And, Figure out some way uh, to commodify all this stuff so they can turn right. making economy yeah. economy out of it. <laughs> and not, <laughs> you can't escape us. We're going to make money off of some. Yeah, yeah. Um, where so many of those things are just like it's just a wood box. You mm -hmm. know? Like you don't need this five hundred dollar thing <laughs> that you bolt together that was made in China. Like, yeah. Wait a second.
And so, we can change topics here a little bit. I saw a note on an interesting series of photos. Organized variants. Mm. There's a bunch of pictures of food. And it's very different from all your other stuff. And I was kind of curious what you were exploring in this one. Because it's very isolated shots of food against a white background. And it looks kind of disgusting in the format. <laughs> like, I assume that's intentional. <laughs> it, yeah, it it is. Um, it's half of a a piece that um, again I did with with my partner, and um, we were exploring sort of the commodification of organ donors and like the costs of them, representational. Um, I'm not familiar with. Pieces for for transplant. Okay. And so, like, the value of, like, how much does it cost to transplant a heart? How much does it cost to transplant a kidney? You know, mm-hmm. and this sort of, um, the, the tourism, the medical tourism of people going to third world com- countries to have a kidney transplant. Or, yeah. or, or people going on vacation and having their kidney stolen. <laughs> um, and, and sort of exploring some of those ideas, but it was particularly about cost and um, what isn't portrayed here is there was also a performative aspect and a um, there was my photographs and her drawings of these organs Mm -hmm. Um, my photographs were of the food that we made that represented it and the the performative piece or the, the evening was was basically making a meal of all of these types of food mm-hmm. um, in the shape of these organs. Mm-hmm. And the layout was such that there was enough pieces for e- the economy of each organ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there might have, I think there was eight hearts. And there was, um, you know, if you go back to... Let's, Pick something, you know, kidneys. I think there was 108, okay. and or or some like some. I can't remember the, the specific numbers at the moment, um, but that kind of idea where it sort of dwindled down, and there was only so many of each object um, or each organ, mm-hmm. as it were. And then you know, people came in and and basically had a meal um, of these, and some people wanted to eat them, like. You know, effectively, it's a meatball, but it was in the shape of an anatomical heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people were like, "Oh, yeah, let me eat that." And other people were like, "Whoa, no! Like, I'm not not really getting down with that." Um, and and so it's just, you know, I I really enjoyed the photos and the making of it and the coming up with all of these recipes. And there there's a very that's a big piece of an element that is is certainly growing in my practice and building these these kinds of experiences for people and and also the creation of of sort of flavor mm. and, and creating experience mm. okay and so this other series that you've got up here is Grand Central Station and I thought these were pretty interesting series of photographs it's like looks like you're doing a time lapse on a tripod and mm-hmm. some people are standing more still than others so you get whole figures that are surrounded by these blurs of people yeah. it, it it came from one of the, the first times I was living in New York and um, you 
know, sort of reconnecting with my the sort of art side of my life um, coming out of being you know sort of working commercially in the photographic world. Um, and I, I carried a camera around for months and didn't take any pictures. Just yeah. like looking at things, just taking them in, just sort of think, trying to sort of think about what what was valuable. Um, and Grand Central became a really important sort of part of my daily life. And you know, sort of doing some research on the space and thinking about it. And it was all designed to move people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about sort of efficiency and getting people from one place to another and not ever existing in that space mm. um, but what I, I found and what I you know, really tried to explore with with the series is those who do stop you know that that it still happens that even even in a place that is completely you know moves I don't know half a million people a day or, or somewhere in that neighborhood last time like when I was looking at these numbers it's probably more today mm-hmm. um, that that people do, do still come to rest in that space, and sometimes it's to do something else. Sometimes it's just to completely rest. Sometimes it's. Um, it seems like most people are on their phone when they're standing. There's, there's certainly <laughs> there there's an element of that that, that goes on. Because um, being there, like it is just kind of a big room. It doesn't invite you to like stay anywhere. There's no no places safe from the crowd. So you no. kind of just kind of keep shuffling through. There's not like benches or anything. Yeah. And people do. I think there's there's some. I don't know if they're in posted in this version, mm-hmm. but there. You know, certainly there is like I, I can think of one that was like a pile of of sort of teenagers that you know obviously were just sort of like waiting for their train, but they're like all in this pile and just yeah. sort of like totally kind of kicking back. Mm-hmm. Um, and other <clears throat> times it's you know there's there was even this element of people going and being part of their own picture like go stand over there and they would and mm-hmm. like they would someone would walk out into the middle of the space and, and their partner would be somewhere over here and take their picture and mm-hmm. that was always kind of an interesting moment to sort of be able to capture mm-hmm. as well how long are the time lapses on these they range I want to say I don't think there's anything under four seconds mm-hmm. um, in on on average somewhere in that sort of neighborhood because I wanted to also make sure that I wasn't just capturing yeah. a split second and passing it off as this um, <laughs> this idea of of coming to rest, mm-hmm. but um, you know always there's sort of this sea and this undulation of of those moving around the, mm-hmm. the one that has come to stop. Yeah, it does have a pretty good mix of, like, people that are moving and people that are still, like, in this one. The mm-hmm. guy in the background and the guy in the foreground are both pretty in focus. So they're probably holding very mm-hmm. still for a four- or five-second mm-hmm. exposure. But the other people, some of, most of them you can't make out at all. So. Yeah. And so are there any other performance or photographic series that you'd like to talk about that we haven't done yet um it's a really good question I think you know like when I was coming over here thinking about um things to to experiment with or to experiment with to, to talk about in this place um 
and why I, when I called you, I was like, oh, I'm not, I don't really have it together is I have a new series that mm-hmm. um, I've been working on that is, again, sort of a mix of, of performative pieces and, and photographs that is um, the building of, of kind of custom flavors for people to base off of memories mm-hmm. um, where basically through sort of an interview process or just a conversation with someone about a particular memory, what it felt like, what what they smelled, what they saw, um, what it made them think of, things like, questions like that mm-hmm. um, to come up with effectively a, a T that represents those things mm-hmm. with the ultimate goal being when you that we would sit and make it together and when you taste it you see that memory or you feel that memory or you mm-hmm. have that sort of I- indication what kind of a flavor library do you have to pull off of to try to create some of these um I know if you get I, really scientific you can go to like those flavor labs yeah, and you can make anything I but. I try to make <laughs> I, I've started drying like herbs and fruits and and meats and Vegetables and you know, sort of mostly all sort of organic materials. I don't really want to get into a flavor lab. Yeah. Um, I, I think the goal is to be able to create it based on things that actually exist mm-hmm. um, and have those be be real and not like some version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've started dehydrating a lot of things and sort of like working on creating this sort of essence. So what it has turned into is photographs of the mixture, in a sense, in a very kind of tight mm-hmm. macro kind of way that sort of creates this, this wonderful kind of landscape mm-hmm. in, in a way um, that I think is a really nice balance and, and, and speaks to a lot of, of how I work mm-hmm. in trying to create multiple experiences. Have you already started interviewing people to get some experiences to try to concoct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, there's, there's been many. I, I started with, you know, obviously with uh, sort of friends and, and experiences that I've had, and, and experiences that, that close friends or, or experiences that I've had with others um, to sort of build on. Um, and there will mm. be more. It's just sort of what kind of things are people choosing to try to create? Um, you know, I think many times it's it's how they want to feel right then. No. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's either like I want to feel this way, or mm-hmm. I wish I was. Like, pick a place you want to be. Okay, mm-hmm. let's think about what that place is, um, or a specific memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like this time when I was in this place with so and so, and we, you know, had this kind of bread or you know, there was this wonderful wine or you know whatever it was um, but I think oftentimes it's it's more it's the conversations have have led to something they wish they could have right then which I think is really beautiful also this sort of like what mm-hmm. is a safe place what is what is a place that's like home mm-hmm. what is you know, which I, I think relates a lot to my work when you make the mixtures, would you make them available for other people to try with the description so they could be like, this is this person's memory, and I'm going to yeah. see what... Yeah, yeah. Um, there was, there was uh, 
a piece that I, I did exactly like that where I made it for everyone who was there and it was based off of one person's thoughts um, where I sat with them and, and we talked and then I made enough of a, that concoction for the 25 people that were in the room uh, and that and then it, I was very fortunate enough that we after the experience got to have this conversation about what people thought about it what their kind of those who were very trepidatious of like I'm not sure I want to taste that like I'm not I don't even know what you're putting in that yeah. and some people were like I'm totally game like <laughs> everyone else is drinking <laughs> yeah you know um, so that and I always will tell people if they ask like oh I can't have this yeah. and, and that <laughs> becomes important and so that's where it gets a little bit dangerous when you open it up to others because mm-hmm. the ingredients you might be working with might be something where you're like I'm allergic to that I hate that I don't yeah. want to taste that um, and then it then that changes the dynamic because you're like well there's this one guy who didn't taste it mm-hmm. why not like what's that about um, and usually it's that sort of you know, mm. allergy or don't like that or mm. well I think I'm about out of questions for it unless you got anything you need to touch back on or no yeah Thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking with me. I'll see you around. concludes this episode of Studio Sessions with our guest Chuck Cheney. You can find his work online at chuckcheney.com. You can also learn more about me at my website, mattcoolman.com. If you'd like to support this program, you can send a donation through PayPal to studiosessionspodcast at gmail.com. Even if you only send $1, your donation helps guarantee I can continue providing interviews with interesting artists for your listening pleasure. And of course, don't forget to visit BigRedAndShiny.com for future episodes, along with other high-quality arts and culture content. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on Studio Sessions. Mm-hmm.